We are walking through the series we're calling I Am because I Am, by the way, is a statement in of itself. It draws back to the Older Testament when God described himself to Moses as the great I Am that I Am. And it is that same phrase that Jesus used in each of the eight statements we've been exploring, all found within the Gospel of John. Each statement, by the way, was a statement that revealed something of Jesus' nature, his character, was meant to give insight into who he actually was. But each statement also causes audience to wrestle with, if we could think of it this way, whether or not they agreed with his self-assessment. Because if they agreed with what Jesus said about himself, well, that agreement had the capacity to radically alter every other aspect of their lives. It was no small thing. Each statement Jesus made was strong in its impact, far-reaching in the ripple effect. And um, the one we're going to be exploring, this statement that Jesus made claiming to be the Good Shepherd, was one in which he revealed something about who he was, who he is, but it also, at the same time, it's a controversial statement because it, he ended up indicting the religious leaders around him simultaneously. He drew a contrast that ended up generating a heated argument at, when he was done saying what he said. And so that's what we're going to explore here together. A number of weeks ago, we looked at the first piece of this metaphor Jesus used. This weekend, we're going to look at the second piece. And if you open up your handout, we'll go ahead and walk through this passage together. We're told in in John 10, verse 1, Jesus is speaking here. And he says to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. Sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now Jesus is describing a scene those listening to him would be very very familiar with. It was a, 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 a pastoral scene in which a shepherd is taking care of his sheep. He would be describing something that they would know in their mind's eye. Perhaps they would imagine a sheep pen out in the valley or maybe on the side of a mountain or within a cave in which numbers of shepherds would go perhaps at high noon or in the evening when it was time to rest their flock, their sheepfold. And a number of sheepfolds would come into one pen. And Jesus is saying, listen, it's obvious, right? The shepherd has no need to try to get into the sheep pen any other way except through the door. All right? If somebody else tries to get in any other way except through the door, well, it's clear they're a thief and a robber. They're looking out to harm the sheep. But the shepherd will come in and he will call them by name. This is the, he says, listen, they know his voice and he starts calling them by name and he leads them out. He's describing what it would look like. A shepherd would come in and start ask, calling them by their, their, perhaps their nicknames, their distinctives, the, the way that he has characterized them. And, and the sheep would listen to the voice and the voice would be what they respond to. And the sheep who belonged to the shepherd would end up gravitating towards the shepherd and the shepherd would end up leading them out and traversing the terrain outside of the sheep pen. Now, this is what Jesus is describing, but he also says something else. He said, listen, he says something that we may be very familiar with, which is that sheep scare easy. 
says, the stranger they will not listen to. Now, I don't know if you've ever encountered sheep in your day. I um, have had, you know, back when I was a youth pastor, we'd take different trips throughout California. We would go on these road trips and we would inevitably end up on Highway 5, Interstate 5. And along the way, we'd see different types of cattle. And whenever we saw sheep, for whatever reason, everyone wanted to pull over. They found them just irresistibly adorable, right? And they lowered their windows and they would start to baa at them and start to try to communicate with these sheep. We'd pull over and everyone would get out of the, the minivans and the, the, the students would just run out of the minivans towards the sheep. Now, here's the thing. They were running, hoping to be able to touch the sheep, talk to the sheep, be able to hold the sheep, hug the sheep, you know, do all these things with these sheep that they have just seen, they've never seen before. And what would happen, you know, what, we know what would happen. They would run towards the sheep and the sheep would run away. They would scare easy. And the the irony was the closer we would get to the fence, the farther they would go. Jesus is describing that very incident. He's saying they don't listen to a shepherd. They scare easy. doesn't matter how you try. If they don't recognize you, they're running away. This is what he says. He says they do not know the voice of strangers. And so they flee from the voice. Now, Jesus is describing something that is meant to illuminate a spiritual reality. And yet the disciples listening, they don't connect the dots. They don't get it. John tells us as much in verse 6. He says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Uh, they, they, I imagine them having a look of confusion. Like, well, okay. Which makes me feel very comfortable. Um, Jesus speaks, they don't understand. I feel pretty good with that. Their misunderstanding, or lack of it, is what causes Jesus to elaborate. If they fully understood, we wouldn't get the second half. Think about that. Their confusion gives us a doorway. uh, A little bit more insight. And it's then that Jesus says, okay, you know what? I am the door. I am the gatekeeper to the sheep. We explored that in depth a number of weeks ago. But this time, he steps into a second metaphor, and he identifies himself with another character in this analogy he made. He said in verse 11, in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus, when he, let's put it this way, when he says something is good, it's really good. I mean, it's really good. Uh, there was another incident in Jesus' ministry in which somebody he was teaching, and somebody came up to him, and they, they referred to him this way. They said, good teacher. And Jesus interrupted them immediately and said, why do you call me good? Don't you know there's only one who is good? And that is God. That's that's what Jesus did. You know, Jesus elevated a word we use to put like, that was good, that was was all right, that was fine. It's like, that was three out of five stars. You know, it was was good, it's okay. He takes that word in the casual way we use it, and he elevates it to the point of equality with God. Think about that. He says, there's only one who is good. That's God. That was in a different moment in his ministry, which many believe he was saying, if you call me good teacher, really what you're saying, 
something far more profound. In this instance, Jesus steps into this moment. He uses this same phrase. He says, I am the good shepherd. Which is Jesus' way of saying, I am the best shepherd. There's no equal. I am the best shepherd that ever was, ever is currently, or ever will be. That is, that's what Jesus is saying. And how does he measure? What is the metric he uses to measure goodness? Look at what he says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. If we could hear it this way, his metric for good is nothing short of complete self-sacrifice. So when Jesus says something is good, it's pretty high on his list. He goes on by comparison. He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand. And then this is a strong word, cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus makes a comparison and he essentially looks at, and many scholars believe it, and he indicts the religious leaders of his day, the priests, the Levites, the, the officers of the temple who were supposed to care for God's people. And he says, I'm nothing like them. They're like hired hands. They're only in it for the money, for what they get in return. And you know how you know it? This is what Jesus is saying. Because when danger comes, they're nowhere to be found. That's how. It, when something threatens the soul of my people, they don't defend. They don't step in. They don't take that risk of a conversation. They don't have the posture of self-sacrifice. They don't think about the wellness of their people. They don't lovingly confront. They don't do that. Instead, they look out for themselves. And when the wolves come, they flee. They flee. And what is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, there's a difference between somebody who simply looks at themselves as an employee and somebody who looks at themselves as an owner. The owner would never, never expose their flock to danger. That's what Jesus is saying. His conclusion, he says, they care nothing for the sheep. Ah, these words echoed within the ears of those listening. They were words that, if we could think of it this way, made the phrase, gave the phrase, feeding them to the wolves, poignant definition. And then he goes on. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. There's transparency here. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Uh, my knowledge of them is complete. There's nothing that I do not know about my sheep. And everything that is in me is available to them. In the same way that I know the Father and the Father knows me, I know the sheep and the sheep, the sheep know the shepherd. He says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. It's what I do. I don't leave. I don't abandon. I don't reject. I lay my life down for them and I have other sheep. And then he moves into what many call the future of what's happening here. And I, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock 
One shepherd. Jesus ends up, if you could think of it this way, ends up shooting an arrow through time. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to a group of people who are predominantly of Jewish descent. A group of people who for all of human history had seen themselves as a chosen people of God. Rightly so. But Jesus is speaking to a group of people that many years down the line, or several years down the line, they will see an explosion happen in which God will not no longer simply be limited to a chosen people group, but will be expanded to, they would refer them as Gentiles. We would call it the rest of the world. Where every ethnicity, race, every class, every status, is now able to call upon God as their own, and they are all united. The barrier of division is broken down, and now there is one people of God with one shepherd. This is what Jesus ends up pointing towards, which is remarkable. He's speaking of us. And he says, for this reason... The Father loves me, in verse 17, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This this is kind of a remarkable capstone to what Jesus is declaring, because his final statement is essentially saying something. He's saying, what is he saying? He's saying, I I am the one who lay it down. You know, in other words, what he's saying? The cross will not surprise me. I will not be powerless of it. I will not be incapable of escaping it. This is remarkable because Jesus didn't find himself hanging on a cross. Unable to do anything about it. In fact, he has a conversation after being flogged, that is to be beaten by the Romans. And he's speaking to the Roman authority whose name is Pilate. And Pilate looks at him and he says, why don't you answer me? Don't you know that I have the power to set you free? And Jesus says to him, being chained, says to him, you have no power over me except what has been given to you from above. In another place, he said to them, he says, Don't you know that I have the ability to call upon legions? Don't you know I could set entire armies to rescue me right now? Which is amazing because it means that Jesus willfully stepped in to the cross. It means that he chose to give his life up. It wasn't imposed on him. He imposed himself onto it. The sacrifice of perfect humanity for imperfect people, a debt no one else could pay. He says, I will pay for it. And I will do more than pay for it. What else does he say? He says, I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This is remarkable. Who would dare make such a claim? He's saying, I'm not only giving my life up to death. Death will not have the final say. I I will raise my life back up and life will be the final statement of everything I came to do. (laughs) These are words not of a human being only. 
You know, words that those listening to him readily understood were implying something. In fact, this ended up causing quite a stir. It caused uh, an argument to ensue between him and the religious leaders to the point where Jesus, John records in John 10 later down in this chapter that they, the religious leaders ended up picking up stones and seeking to stone Jesus. They, they were incurring the Old Testament judgment upon Jesus and they were about to do so, execute him. And Jesus, in the midst of this happening, they grabbed stones because they understood everything he was claiming to be and they, they were about to stone him and Jesus says, oh, okay, hold on. I have done many good works. Tell me. For which good work are you about to judge me? That's what he says. And then I asked him to put this up there because what they said in return is telling. They, they replied, we're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. That's, that's why they were about, you're a mere man, but you're claiming to be God. And here's the thing, Jesus didn't at that moment say, oh, that's what you thought? No, no. Guys, we're, we have a misunderstanding, okay? Um, no, 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 let me disabuse you of this confusion. He didn't say that. He didn't. He didn't hear their words and then say, okay, hold on. I didn't mean that, okay? I'm just a good shepherd. That's all I'm saying. I'm like a shepherd who takes care of his sheep, Okay? He doesn't do that. They say, you're a man, you claim to be God. And you know what he does? That's right. And if you don't believe me for my words, believe me for the works. Because only God can do what I'm doing. That's what he's saying. Which is amazing. Now, Jesus wasn't claiming simply to be a shepherd. He was claiming to be the shepherd. The ultimate shepherd of all of God's people. The leader. And he was claiming to be exactly what the ones who called themselves his enemies said he was. There was no confusion about it. This is a big deal. This, is, this has drastic ramifications. See, what this means is that everything Jesus claimed to be, if it is true, is significant. It's significant. And so how does this affect us? How would this... How do we interact with this? How do we unpack this? Whether we are exploring what it looks like to follow Jesus, whether we have, or we perhaps have already decided to follow him, to pursue him with some greater intentionality, what would this look like in our own lives? I'd like us to consider several thoughts. Firstly, that Jesus, what is he saying? This is contingent on us agreeing with his assessment, but it, he's saying what? That he offers us security in an embrace that will never leave or abandon us. That is what he gives us. That is what he offers he offers us true security in an embrace that will never leave or abandon us. He is the shepherd who does not scare easy. That's what he's saying. He's the one who will not get frightened by the wolves, as it were, that may come in this life. He does not fear the dangers this broken world is filled with. 
is significant because if we could hear it this way, there are two areas I think this most can impact us. One area is that we all have a wolf we must encounter, we must face. That is, I'm going to suggest, within us. The inner wolf we must all face. And in some way, shape, or form, we may have varying degrees. Some of us, it may be a smaller degree. Others of us, it may be a larger degree, depending on how we have been raised, what environment we were raised in, what things happened in our past, what things we have done ourselves. But we will all, at some point, in some way, shape, or form, need to wrestle or face or confront shame. We will. And there's a difference between shame and guilt. Guilt tells us that what we did was wrong. Guilt is the impulse inside of us that says that was not right, and it causes us to try to fix or correct that action. That is what guilt does. But shame does something far different. Shame says, no, it's not just that the action is wrong, it's that I am flawed, deeply wrong. Everything in me is not good. That's what shame says. And that will devour us. It will frighten us. It will paralyze us. It will. It'll remove confidence from us. And many of us, we seek to deal with it in other ways. We seek to compensate for that voice that is speaking within us. We seek to perhaps pursue other things that we think will silence it. And nothing is able to do that. Nothing. Because we all know that there are things within us we would rather people not see. We do. We know it. Some of us may have this lingering voice within us. Brene Brown, who is a psychologist who has studied shame, the effects of shame on humanity, on people, for over a decade now, she describes it this way. She says, shame has sounds, may sound something like this. It may sound something like, I'm flawed. I'm the problem. I'm not good, pretty, talented, successful, rich, masculine, feminine, tough, caring, skinny, creative, popular enough. Where it may sound like no one can ever find out about blank. It may sound like I'm, I'm going to just pretend everything's okay. I'm just going to pretend everything is okay. It may sound like I can change I can change. I can change to fit in if I have to. I'll alter myself to be accepted. Or it could sound like taking care of them is far more important than daring to take care of myself. She says shame. Shame is one of the greatest inhibitors of True intimacy. Because you know what intimacy does? Intimacy, Pastor Terry has often says, intimacy is, he says, if you break it down, what does it mean? It means, into me you see. That's what intimacy means. Intimacy is opening up a window in our soul and allowing others to see us. And in a relationship, that is, that is where things get a little tough. Because why? What does it require? It requires vulnerability. And in order for us to be vulnerable, we we have to struggle with the reality that something is risked when we expose ourselves. There are areas in our lives we know if they see this, if they know this, I'm not sure they'll stick around. And so many times we, we refuse to and we just remain locked down. And this is where Jesus says, I see everything. 
I see it all. I know my sheep. I know the underbelly of who you are. I know the areas you would love for everyone else to see. And I know the areas you would hope you would yourself would never see. And you know what his response is? His response is, I will not leave you. I will not reject you. I will remain. I see you completely. And here I am. Not leaving. That's his response. He offers us the capacity to silence the shame within us. So Paul said when he said, we have been made right in God's eyes by faith. We have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. We don't have to measure up. We don't have to ourselves try to overcome it or disprove it. We can be honest with our good shepherd. Let down our barriers. Acknowledge what he already knows. It doesn't surprise him. It doesn't shock him. And it doesn't repulse him. He says, I already saw it. I died for it. I gave myself for you. And if it does that within us, that's far more outside of us, around us, because up until this point, everyone, everyone understood God in this way. Everyone, meaning everyone, understood God in this way in some shape or form. That good circumstances means God's favor is with us. Bad circumstances mean God must be clearly against us. That's what God was interpreted like in whatever religion it might be found throughout the ancient world. That was one of the key pillars of how things were interpreted. Jesus came in and he, he revolutionized it all. He revolutionized it because he said, listen, I will never leave nor forsake you. I am here. I will remain. Paul eloquently put this together and he wrote this to a group of believers in Rome. And I, I asked them to put this up there because I think it's just so, so good for us to be able to hear and to remember. He says, listen, who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. He says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Is that what this means? If we have bad situations, struggles and conflicts, does it mean he no longer loves us? And all throughout human history, the echoing voice would be, yes. But Jesus changed that. Because he emphatically steps in and he says in verse 37, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. And then he says, who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. And just in case he forgot something, he adds this, no power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed, and here it is, nothing in all creation 
Uh, if I forgot anything, if I may have missed a small detail, you're thinking you're the exception. Nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Nothing. It's a promise that is remarkable in its nature. You know what this means? It means that whatever we're sitting in, whatever circumstance we may be facing, you know what it doesn't mean? It doesn't mean that God loves us less. It doesn't mean that we have been forgotten. It doesn't mean that he is no longer near us. It does not mean that. In fact, what this means is that we are now able to step into situations that require courage from us. Why? Because the good shepherd is with us. We are able to walk through the Toughest of trials because the good shepherd leads us on. We are able to sustain the hardest of situations because the good shepherd is there with us. You hear it? He will never leave us. He will never abandon us. He will never reject us. When we fail, he's there. When we stumble, he is there. When we mourn, he weeps with us. When we are overwhelmed, he lifts us. When we are weary, he renews our strength. When we feel weak, he is our strength. He is the good shepherd. And if that's the case, he becomes the greatest sense of security in our own lives. If that's the case, then Jesus' commitment, which is our second thought here, his commitment is able to give us courage to follow him. His commitment is able to give us the courage we need to follow him. Jesus made it clear, listen, I am willing to give everything for my sheep. There is nothing I withhold. I give my own life. He did it. He committed himself to the cross in agony, in the pain, in the humiliating exposure of it, in the condemnation on our behalf. He did it. He ended up coming back, rising again out of the grave and giving us his presence and saying to us, listen, now you have me and you are not orphans. You have my very essence. My presence is with you. My spirit dwells within you. And because that is in you, follow me. That's what he says. He, he gives us the capacity in, in the arms of such strength, in the arms of such safety. Can you see it? He is the proverbial father sitting in the water, calling us, beckoning us to jump in. He will catch us. Which means we can jump. We can have the courage. We can have the courage to take the risk of trusting him. And it is a risk. No doubt about it. It's the safest risk we will ever take. He gives us the courage to speak of his goodness. He gives us the courage to do good things and give him credit. He gives us the courage to surrender our agenda and invite his plan for our lives. No small thing. He gives us the courage to boldly proclaim of his love for us. He gives us the courage to love those around us. Look, faithfully, humbly. You know what? Humility is so hard. It's so hard because it means surrendering our defense mechanisms. It's so hard. He gives us the courage to do it. To be kind and gentle. He gives us the courage to forgive, knowing we may get hurt again. He gives us the courage to love taking the risk. And he gives us the courage to become dependable people because one day, someone will come to depend on us. 
Someone will call upon us. They will reveal themselves to us, or they will expose something, or they will call on our strength to be their point of stability. And we will, if we're honest with ourselves, we will be terrified at the prospect. We will want to flee. We will want to run away. And Jesus will give us the courage to say, no, 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 even though I want to run, I will remain because he has remained with me. He has set my feet on stable ground and he gives us the capacity to become not just anchored in him, but then we become anchor points for others. Do you see it? That is the way of the Lord. He tethers us to him. And he says, now allow your life to be an extension of that tether. He gives us the courage to become the people we long to be. To step into it. To courageously dare greatly and follow him wholeheartedly. Which is only possible is our final thought here, is that Jesus' voice is meant to comfort and lead us. He, he, he is the one who is able, listen, he, he says, listen, they hear my voice, they hear my voice, they respond, they know me and I know them. There is complete transparency and love and acceptance here. He, if we could hear it this way, the sheep, the sheep is, struck with, is, is struck with anxiety easily, but the voice of the shepherd calms the fear. The voice of the shepherd is able to speak peace into our heart and our soul. That is the voice of the shepherd. Some of us, we may never have sensed. It's not audible, I can tell you that. Something of his presence moving into our soul, assuring us, I'm with you. If you've never experienced that, I encourage you, invite you to ask him to speak. Lord, will you help me hear your voice? Will you help me hear your voice through your words, through your spirit? Because my soul is filled with turmoil. It's filled with grief. It's wounded. It's angry. It's frustrated. It's, I feel isolated. I don't know. I'm not well inside. And it's there. It's there that his voice is able to step in. Say, I, I'm right here. Be at peace. He was in a boat with disciples. The Sea of Galilee went into a storm. The disciples feared. And Jesus, you know what he did? How he calmed it? With his voice. Be still. And the storm is usually greater within us than it is outside of us. He longs to speak those words into us. He longs to be the voice that defines the condition our heart is in. And his voice truly longs to say, peace, be still. And that becomes our greatest source of strength. That becomes our greatest source of confidence. We find ourselves in the eye of a storm and we are able to say, you are with me. You are with me. I have found that you are with me despite the circumstances around me. You are with me. And even though I may feel overwhelmed, you are with me. And you have spoken strength into my soul, not because I somehow am, am unique, 
but because you are the good shepherd. Years before this, the great poet was able to discover the good shepherd. And he says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because he is my shepherd. Now I shall not want. He causes me to lie down upon green pastures. He sets a table before my enemies. He pours oil over me. He makes my cup to overflow. This is my shepherd. And Jesus answers the cry we all have in some way, shape, or form, which is who can possibly guarantee that they will never leave me, they will never abandon me, they will never reject me. Who is capable of giving me such a promise? I have yet to find such a person. And it is there. Jesus steps in and says, I am. I am the good shepherd. I will never leave you, forsake you, or reject you. You are mine and I am yours. Be secure in that. May that be the case. May that be the case in our lives. May he be our shepherd. May he be our source of strength, security. May he give us the courage we need. And may his voice lead the way. May his voice speak over us. In a moment, we're going to receive our time of giving, closing song. I would love to pray. Ask for the shepherd to lead us. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you came to address the greatest fears we could never address on our own. You know us completely inside and out. You know every aspect of us. You know us truly better than we know ourselves. And your response is love. Your response is commitment. We can never earn it. You give it freely. I pray you help us embrace you as our shepherd. I pray you become a larger sense of our security, our confidence. And I ask, Lord, that you then give us the courage we need to trust you, to follow you, to go wholeheartedly with you. May your voice be what dominates our soul. May your voice be our source of identity and strength. We ask for this, Lord. Lead us. Lead us that we may sing the song of the poet. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in your house forever. May that be the case. In Jesus' name we pray.